Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Wednesday, January 13th. And, John, what sport did we watch on Monday night? Was that college football? I, I, I honestly had a hard time telling. That was that was actually the XFL came back. <laughs> oh, good. Because that to me looked like two, uh, at least one and a half teams that were playing a different sport than I watched Michigan State play this fall. Yeah, it was a bit uh, more exciting. Um, <laughs> Just a little. The offense had a bit more pop as you can <laughs> say, uh, on both sides of the ball, specifically on Alabama's side. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I, I truly admit that every play watching it go for yards was exciting. And I, it's not something I want to do all the time. I do. I like to stay in my little cocoon in the big 10 and, you know, get some good punts, but I don't think the punters were, I don't think Alabama's punters saw the field. And is that the best job in college football? Alabama? I think it has. I think it has to be. I think the best job in college football is Alabama's punter and the worst job is Alabama's kicker. Because if Alabama's kicker ever is in a situation where he is needed, mm. can you imagine the pressure? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I think that special teams room has quite the, uh, yeah, yeah. Quite the uh, diversion from, from one end to the other. But I mean, that was, it was just crazy. So in case you're living under a rock, Alabama beat Ohio state for the national championship, Nick Saban seventh final score is 52 to 24. Um, it was just crazy. I mean, we watched Ohio state all year, especially against, you know, firsthand against Michigan state. And that team was really good. Clearly the class of the conference, they went out and they put a pretty good beat down on what everybody assumed was the second best team in the country in Clemson, the presumptive number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they made him look a little silly. And then they go out and they get more than doubled up by Alabama. And, and not only that, but they just looked so after the first call it quarter plus quarter and a half where Ohio state kind of kept, you know, kept punching back. I think they were tied at like 14 to 14 or something like that. After that, it just, it just all fell apart. Alabama went into, you know, hyperdrive, Adam Gase hyperdrive and um, just never looked back. And it was, it just looked so easy. And that was the part that really blew my mind more than, more than anything else. It was upsetting to see how <laughs> uncomfortable 
comfortable and easy it was you know and I know Najee Harris had a really nice quote where he was saying after the game, he's like, that wasn't easy, you know, credit Ohio state. I was getting beat up and it's like, buddy, I know you're saying all the right things right now, but you have to understand that. (laughs) But we just saw, you don't get to, you don't score 52 points in a national championship game. It's not a thing. You weren't playing, you know, it looked like they were out there, you know, playing a Sunbelt team. and it was Ohio State for the national championship, an undefeated Ohio State team who is going to put a a handful of first rounders out. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, and, it, and it begs the question, Austin, how far away is Ohio State from Alabama? You know, if we, we like to think Ohio State is the barometer in the Big Ten, they are for all intents and purposes. They are the best by far year over year. And all the way back to past 25 years, they are easily the best overall record. And yet, they're seemingly as a program far behind Alabama, as was showcased in that game. And it didn't look like a fluke. Like 10 out of 10 times, that result probably happens. A, a beatdown. So how far away is Ohio State from Alabama? And then my next question is, well, how far away is Michigan State? So... What do you think? So if we answer that question, you think of it of like uh, to stay topical, the length of a football field. So 100 yards, Alabama's, you know, one of the end zones and everybody else is some distance from that end zone. I think Ohio State and Clemson are probably the only two programs that you could consider are even in the red zone. And Ohio State is like on the 19 and Clemson is on like I'll give Clemson the the 10. Um you know, those are the two teams that every year consistently are recruiting with Bama in the rankings and, and they're, you know, supposedly right up there. But something's just different in the water down in Bama. And I think maybe I think the main thing is that, yes, those rankings are, you know, as a whole. So you're considering the whole class. I think the biggest difference is that the best linemen on both sides of the ball are the ones that go to Bama. I think that's the biggest difference is that those are the battles that they win in recruiting more often than not. I mean, you go back and look at that 2017 class graphic that was making the rounds on on Monday night of all these insane players that went to um, Alabama in that class, which included Tua and Mac Jones, uh, you know, Jerry Judy, Najee Harris, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, like this crazy list of characters in there is also Alex Leatherwood uh, and Jedrick Wills, two tackles that both played um on these, in these last two years. And like, that's the type of guy that, that Alabama is getting. And they're just, they're so much bigger in the trenches that um, it's, it's kind of wild. So I would say that that's probably what separates them more than anything else. I mean, skill position, obviously they've got elite players, but I mean, Ohio state's no, they're no chumps when it comes to skill position guys. I mean, Olave, I, I, uh, Garrett Wilson was making some nice plays last night. Their tight ends made a few plays. Justin Fields obviously is, is very talented, but and it's just a little different over at, at Alabama. So I'd say Ohio State's probably the only other team within the remote red zone. Behind them, you've got, you know, I think like the Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Caliber, Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, they're kind of the ones next. But when it comes back to Michigan State, I mean, I think MSU just took a touchback. 
So they might be like on their own 20. <laughs> maybe the ball went out of bounds and we're, you know, somewhere near midfield or maybe they're not, not that actually that's too close. Uh, maybe there was a holding penalty on the, or, a, uh, you know, you know, uh, maybe the, the gunner on the other team ran out of bounds or something and MSU got a 10, 15 yard penalty and they're somewhere near their own 30. But I, I mean, at this point in time, like I said, it, it almost looks like they're playing a, a different sport in the, let me make it perfectly clear. Most teams in America are like that when it's compared to Alabama. The The other side of the 50 is packed full of teams uh, when it comes to comparing them to the Crimson Tide. But MSU, I think, you know, a year ago, if we're talking about last offseason, you, you know, I'm, I, they're pinned against their own end zone, in my opinion. There, there's a, just a Bama's punter made one of his only punts of the year, and he really pinned him back, coffin corner. But now, you know, they've got a little breathing room. I think you know, as we'll talk about with, with the roster in the off season, like the roster is trending the right way. I think Mel Tucker is a type of guy who's going to, he's already proven, I think in this transfer window more than anything else that he has appealed to some really top level guys. Maybe not all the guys that you're seeing in that Bama locker room, but some of the skill position guys, I mean, he's obviously got some, some level of attraction to them and we'll see what else, you know, how else he rounds out this roster. So I think MSU is still pretty far behind. I don't think that's a bold take. Um, but what about you? I think there's some, it sounds bad, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's important. There's always perspective. And, you know, MSU just got off an awesome run with um, a fun ride with Mark D'Antonio. The highs were high, the lows were low, um, but we saw how high the high could be and they played Bama and it wasn't particularly close. And, um, you know, you can you can feed three star kids as much disrespect and hate as you want, but there's a ceiling on that. And I think we've turned a chapter to a guy who has been a part of some of those programs you mentioned that are under or in the same hemisphere and <laughs> on the right <laughs> side of the 50 with Bama. And he understands that you can scheme all you want. It's, it's about, it's about personnel. And that's, that's the next step, you know, as Michigan state has to enter itself into the conversation of the to, of guys that can get off the bus with Alabama. I think a great litmus test is how many guys on Michigan state's team could play at Bama start, uh, start, start. From last year, I'm I'd be hard pressed to find. And it doesn't. And Matt Coppola doesn't count. So. Uh, um, no, legitimately, and I again don't think this is hyperbole. I would be very hard pressed to find one. I really would. I, I mean, they're that talented. Shaq Brown, Naquan Jones, and Antoine Simmons could see the field. That's where yeah, Xavier at. Henderson might see the field. They can see the well. field. So I think that's the litmus test, right? So, and we, as we've talked about in this pod for a while, Mel is creating or trying to create a roster that is completely different size-wise, talent-wise than what we're accustomed to. Um, and so that, that means that the ceiling is actually higher and that's mm-hmm. good. Does it mean we'll ever get there? Who knows? Ideally we are. Um, but that said, I don't want to throw away what D'Antonio did because um, Not at for, all. What, for what it's worth, he did something. You mentioned the handful of teams that are in the same, you know, 
world as Bama, every other team that you didn't mention would have killed for the run that Mich- D'Antonio brought Michigan State. But we've turned the corner, and now Mel Tucker, as we mentioned, has added a few kids and, and got one recently that makes Michigan State's running backs room one of the most competitive, not just in the Big Ten, but an eye-opening room um, in any outside of maybe Bama <laughs> in, yeah. in the country. Adding Kenneth Walker, uh, stud running back um, transfer from Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, Kenneth Walker is a, is a really exciting addition to, to this team. I mean, he comes in with three years of eligibility left, so it's not just the short-term grad transfer type guy. Um, he, he comes in and probably will keep that extra year of eligibility that everyone's getting. Checks in at 5'10", 206 pounds, really compact uh, runner. But this kid, is a he's a pure running back. I mean, you watch him run and you almost don't – you're like, oh my God, is that is that a real running back? It's almost something that MSU hasn't seen in a handful of years um, since the LJ Scott era, probably. Um, you know, not only was he is is he have a lot of eligibility, which is exciting. He's been productive. I mean, in 2020, uh, an abbreviated season for um, Wake Forest, I believe he only played in five games. He had uh, 579 yards and 13 touchdowns. Uh, and not against a bunch of scrubs either. I mean, he, he did all his damage really against all power five teams. Actually, he only, if I'm reading this right, he only played in four games this season. I don't this know if that's right. Correct. I might just, yeah, he no, 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 no. I'm seeing this. I was reading that wrong. He played in a lot more games than that this season. He played in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. But still he, uh, scored multiple touchdowns against North Carolina, Syracuse, Virginia, NC state had over 100 yards in three games, um, you know, not anything to to scoff at from, from a production standpoint. And, you know, now when you take a step back and look at the running back room between Kenneth Walker, Harold Joyner, the transfer from Auburn, and Jordan Simmons, mm-hmm. when you think about the depth and the Jimmys and Joes versus X's and O's concept that you were just walking through, that's the type of room that you want to see ideally at every position where you've got, okay, plan A is not working. We also got plan B. God forbid we got to go to plan C. We feel okay about that too. You know, that's the dream for every single uh, position across the board. And it is cool to see it kind of start to come together for Michigan state, especially at a skill position where um, honestly, the depth hasn't been there in, in quite some time. Uh well, and Austin, the cool thing about these three running backs, they're all different. You know, yes. They all bring something very different to the table, which I think is so helpful when you're trying. There's carries to be had for all three because they're different types of runners. And, and I think that's a great thing. It doesn't mean, and for what it's worth, there are a couple kids on the roster. I think we'll see a bit more turnover um, because of this addition from to the running backs room, probably from the running backs room because it's pretty, pretty crowded right now. But you got to yeah. feel good. You got to feel good about um, what Mel Tucker has done at the most important uh, position, quarterback. Um, the wide receivers are still thin, but you know. The- I think one exciting underrated part of this Kenneth Walker thing is that you know Harold Joyner was obviously brought in to play in the backfield but really Harold Joyner at his right. at the most effective role for him to play which he somewhat played at Auburn is yes to get carries he's obviously going to be a guy that gets a good amount of carries but it's really to to more 
um, play that Connor Hayward type of like H back ish role mm-hmm. where you're catching a lot of passes out of the backfield. And listen, I love Connor, but Harold Joyner is a, that's another level of guy. Uh, that's just, it's just, a, uh, uh, a whole different level of athlete, uh, that you've now got playing and a lot more horsepower from that position. And it puts Connor into a position where, yeah, he's playing a handful of snaps a game, which is probably the role he should have been playing this entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Kenneth Walker brings is a pure running back. And now you've got, I, I will not be surprised at all. If you see a lot of two running back sets with both of them back there, Harold Joyner probably receiving more out of the backfield, but. Listen, that's that's the type of stockpile of weapons that good teams need to have. Now, again, it you've got in the backfield now the Jimmys and the Joes. We need to see what exists in Anthony Russo before anybody gets terribly carried away or maybe Peyton Thorne steps up and wins the job. Um, that quarterback play will obviously be huge, but the ability to have multiple running backs – as well as an offensive line that should take a step forward with the addition of Jared Horst from Arkansas State. Um, you know, it's starting to look – I'll put it this way. I think the offense pretty clearly bottomed out last year. I don't see MSU's offense going back down to that level of play mm-hmm. for uh, hopefully ever, but the mm-hmm. foreseeable, the foreseeable future, certainly. So long way to go. You know, catch your breath. The college football season has come to an end. We're probably going to see a pause on um, incoming transfers for the time being as there are only limited spots and there's going to be a more transition and turnover that needs to happen before new folks can come in. Also keep an eye on um, the commits who have yet to sign. Uh, There's a second signing day coming and you'd like to see a few names that Michigan State has had hard commits from or still chasing um, bolster that recruiting class that we talked about on last pod. Um, still a lot of work to do, but I think the feeling is positive. Um, there's a direction. It's it had, Mel Tucker has a vision. Um, people can start to feel good about what he's trying to do. With that, there's a school down the road that Michigan State uh, plays yearly for the Paul Bunyan Trophy who is committed to going in the other direction. And we <laughs> applaud that. We applaud that. We, we thank them for it. And Michigan has, we just thought it was, it's national news, signed an extension <clears throat> for Jim Harbaugh and asked him to take a 50% pay cut, um, not pandemic related, to, to coach at his alma mater, which is, one of the most embarrassing things I think could happen to somebody. <laughs> I mean, truly, and that's not just trolling. Like that is, that is an embarrassing thing. I, I would like you at home to think about if your organization came to you and said, you can keep your job for half the pay. Do you want it? And the problem with the Jim Harbaugh's situation was most people would say, screw off. I'm going to find somewhere that appreciates me. No one will appreciate Jim Harbaugh because he is bad at his job as of late and nobody wants to take the risk to hire him. And um, I I will say this. I applaud Michigan for the self-awareness. I do believe that Jim Harbaugh is probably the best option available this year. Doesn't mean that's the same next year. Um, but they're stuck. They are in purgatory. They are they have 
married their nuclear option and until death do they part they are together and um mel tucker doesn't seem to have a problem with it so let's keep it going right yeah i mean this is one of those this is such a complex situation i mean it's it (laughs) i saw somebody tweet i think you might have sent it to me john something that it was it might have been a michigan's fan that said uh, if you told me back in 17 that Najee Harris uh, didn't sign, like didn't sign with Ohio or, or Michigan didn't lose to Ohio State, Najee Harris had a like broke a bunch of records and Jim Harbaugh was negotiating a new contract, I would have uh, been over the moon. And where, well, unfortunately, all those things are true, but um, it, it means <laughs> just about nothing positive for the University of Michigan. I mean. It, it's almost a situation where you wonder if Ward Manuel, the, the AD at Michigan, for Harbaugh contract and just simply didn't think he was going to take it. I, I mean, believe he's still. Uh, yeah. And you to give you credit, you posited that to me before we started recording. So I'm just stealing your thunder a bit. But I think there's some <laughs> there might be some credibility to that just because like like you said i can't imagine being offered hey you can keep your job but here's a half as much money what do you think and saying like you know you've got him so backed up that either he's gonna say no and leave which is ultimately probably what most people want to happen or he's gonna say yes and you now save four million dollars a year and there's no buyout in the contract like it's an incredible business move from Ward Manuel. I got to give him credit where credit is due. I mean, that is remarkable what he was able to get him to agree to. But it just shows you that at this point in time, there really are no suitors for Jim Harbaugh. Now, I don't, I don't actually believe that wholeheartedly. I think it takes one stupid owner, John Har- or excuse me, John Gruden. And Mike Mayock getting hired in Vegas completely blew my like, hey, maybe these guys know what they're doing. Like reliance just just out of the water. Like I don't think anybody knows what they're doing. I think it's going to take one owner to be like, all right, let's go buy. Let's let's go get Jim Harbaugh. There's no buyout. And we'll pay him the same thing. He's getting paid at Michigan. And and now that price isn't prohibitive. So I still think this marriage um, might not last a whole lot longer. But if you're if you're Harbaugh, like what your choices are. Either you just like <laughs> either you win enough that somebody's gonna come calling, okay, like an NFL team will actually come calling, or you keep losing and then no one comes calling, and thus you don't leave Ann Arbor. So like the fans, it's almost like what's what, the end of game here is it's like, you know, the marriage is going bad, but you're like, ah, let's just go to one last therapy session and see if we can have a breakthrough. And it's like, ah, you know what? And we might as well just, just call it a day, but no one's got anywhere to go. Like, I don't think anyone's going to hire Jim Harbaugh to be a coordinator because he's not even calling plays for his own offense and hasn't for since they hired Josh Gaddis. And he's an asshole. Nobody wants to work with him. I don't even think his brother would want to hire him. So I just don't know where he goes. He doesn't because I know you say it takes one dumb owner, but even the most insane owner, you hire someone based on their stability or creativity in the NFL. He brings neither to the table. He has, and he, the problem at Michigan is to your point earlier is he's going to win enough that they can't fire him, but not enough that anyone will want to take him seriously. He's going to 
They're Iowa East. And frankly, that's okay. People so, should strive for that. Um, so here's a question. I know it's about to be Bill O'Brien, but as soon as Bill O'Brien graduates from the Saban School of Rehabilitation after his stint as offensive coordinator next year, do we get a Jim Harbaugh in Tuscaloosa offensive coordinator apprenticeship? He'd never take a Can I pray? Down. Can I pray just to watch Jim Harbaugh be the one that burns down the Alabama empire? Because that would make me so happy. It's it's an amazing fantasy, but it involves one of the most stubborn, um, arrogant people to take a step down. And while he did take the pay cut, I'm not sure you could take the title demotion as well, regardless of if it's at uh, or at uh, no. Alabama. No, so, there's a chance. So I think, um, you know, we don't have to spend all day on it, but it's just when we could, because it's just such a complex, oh, yeah. amazing situation. But to, to tie it back to MSU, though, mm-hmm. I think what this does is a lot. It does a lot of the same things for me. It, it's, it's it is nothing but good news for Michigan State. Nothing but good news, because right. you better believe Mel Tucker has already been saying to every last recruit he talks to in the state of Michigan and the state of Ohio and in all these places where they go head to head with U of M on the trail and saying, you think that guy's going to be there? He just took a four million dollar pay cut. You really think he's going to be there your whole career? I'm just getting started. Come build something with us. They're fading. We're growing like that. Those are the same things that everybody said about D'Antonio when D'Antonio is in his last handful of years. He was out there. And listen, he was never a power broker on the recruiting circuit. Well, it broke him. It, it, he right. couldn't get anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, and, and you see it now because those names, those guys from those last few classes are the ones that are now leaving the program or falling. You're going to see them all fall way behind on the death chart next year. So I don't know that the Michigan uh, is going to bottom out the same way that MSU that did just because Harbaugh, you know, it is it, Michigan still has recruiting appeal for whatever reason. Um and so I think you're always going to be able to do okay. But like, this is incredibly good news from not only like the Schadenfreude point of view for MSU fans, but like from a ability to get and own your home state on the recruiting trail and the nearby territories, this is as big a gift as Mel Tucker could ask for uh, in a challenging early tenure at MSU. It's a very good thing. And one thing I want to leave you with as you uh, have late night uh banter talks with your Michigan friends. Don't let them get confused that they Michigan now has more money to give to assistants or or to even to, or even to give to to recruits because now they're in the bag game. Like don't get it twisted. This does not this is not a budget line move. Right. <laughs> Michigan is one of the most uh strongest revenue generating programs in the country. 4 million dollars is neither here nor there. It does not mean that they get better assistance because of it. Remind them that Michigan also loves to tell everyone that they have the, quote, money cannon. So you can't have the money cannon and also only pay uh, and pay Jim Harbaugh less than Chris Mack, head coach at Louisville's men's basketball team. You can't, you can't be both. OK, so nope. broke, broke Wolves is, is the new line. Um, I mean, it's kind of pathetic. So. So with that, um, you know, good things ahead for Michigan State, so it seems. Um, we made it through the season, um, one of the weirder ones. But frankly, 
uh, we're on the other side and, and hoping 2021 uh, gets a little more stabilized for everybody and uh, positive things coming for the Spartans. I agree. I'm all for it. Sign me up, John. All right. So you want to take a quick commercial break and then we'll um, go to our what once was our favorite son, the basketball yes. team. And we have some some harsh words. for He's him. running into some trouble. There's no question. All right. Ready. We're taking a break. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. And we're back. All right. Listen, this is not this is not how I usually feel, John, when we're about to talk about men's basketball. Generally, there's an, uh, a feeling of optimism or a, you know, when it, things are negative, it's like, ah, that's a blip or ah, that was a good season or something like that. But Oh, we're in some more dire straits, I think, than MSU's program has been in in at least a handful of years, probably since Miles Bridges' freshman year. Yeah, but at least with that, um, you know, you could see the future. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like now that said, we can see the future with Michigan State's next year's recruiting class. So let's not get too crazy. True. But, True. But um, at the same time, yeah, this this year is um, going to be continue to be a challenge. Um, and I think we saw the ceiling of this team this past week, which is good, um, quite good. A win against uh, a Rutgers team that is frankly fine, just fine. A, a 68 to 45 dominating performance. Um, and all at, uh, facets of the game. And, you know, A.J. Hogard passed his first test. We out-rebounded Rutgers by 20. Langford had a nice second half. We held their um, explosion scorer to 5 of 18 shooting. Got over the turnover problem in the first half. It seemed like this new rotation thing was working. and. Fast forward three days later against Purdue, and the good vibes keep rolling. First half was a work of art. Defense all of a sudden mattered in East Lansing again. All the things that Michigan State was built on were coming to fruition. Marcus Bingham looked capable. Everyone played in the first half and seemingly playing well in this new rotation. And Austin... The most frustrating part about all of this was that for the first time in maybe podcast history, (laughs) the reason, the singular reason that Michigan State lost to Purdue on a last second shot was because Tom Izzo and his coaching staff coached them out of a win. And it was one of the most perplexing things we'd ever seen from our Hall of Fame coach you know, going from a 15-point halftime lead 
to to benching your all your fives who had shut down your boy Trevion Williams for all intents and purposes mm-hmm. and and putting Joey Hauser on him for the final four minutes of the game, which is an unfair ask to Joey. You, why you would do that is beyond me, especially when you would have three bigs that have already played in that game and p- defended him well. And it was just mind boggling to see the difference between the first half and second half. And it took some truly wild things to happen for Michigan state to blow a four point lead with like 15 seconds left, but it happened. And there's no room for error and blowing a game at home against a not great Purdue team. It might be the microcosm of the season. And it was infuriating to watch. And it took me the whole weekend to be not mad about it, but I'm glad we could talk about it so I could be mad for the next three days. So thank you. Yeah. Great. I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to, you know, there's really two ways we can look at this, right? One is that last week, three of the four halves MSU played the type of basketball that we had been asking them to play more or less the entire season, right? Like we had been, um, you know, wanting them to care on defense. We had been wanting them to make Aaron Henry the focal point of the offense. We had been wanting to see somewhat of a consistent rotation, get good play out of the bigs. Um, we got all that for, for a lot. I mean, we wanted blocks. We got, what, nine blocks against Purdue in the first half. We got eight blocks in the entire game against Rutgers. I mean, really a lot of the things, A.J. Hogarth does not look out of place. A lot of the things that Michigan State did in those three halves were very, very good omens. And then just to completely and totally fall apart in the second half with the aid of your, like you said, Hall of Fame head coach is a really tough pill to swallow i think in normal years i would be less maybe devastated by a loss like this because um you know there are a lot of winnable games still left on the schedule but the fact of the matter is that this is a really 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 good conference this year and you know there are no gimmies i mean if you look at msu's schedule the rest of the way including the teams we're going to talk about You've got seven ranked teams, uh, and of those seven ranked te- games against ranked teams, right now four of those are against teams ranked in the top seven. Okay. Uh, on top of that, you've got to play Ohio State twice and Illinois once. The other games that fill in the rest of that are at Purdue, at Indiana, at home against Indiana, at Rutgers, who is no longer ranked but is still Rutgers. That you know we've seen them win a lot of big games already this season. At Maryland, never an easy place to play. I mean, you don't look at this this uh, schedule and say, okay, MSU is going to – here's how we're going to get to 20 wins and get in the tournament. fact of the matter is they're sitting here at 8 and 12, and they've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 15 games left. It wouldn't shock me if they went 500 the rest of the That um, would be ideal. I don't right. see it. I don't see and it's a- hard. So, okay. Let's um, back up. 
because a team like Michigan State can't lose to teams that shoot three for 24 from three. Right. They, they can't lose to teams that whose second leading scorer had seven points in the game or whose backcourt goes two for 15. I mean, they, like, they did everything right, but they just didn't close out the game. And it was just so upsetting to watch Trevion Williams, who got in the last eight possessions, they gave him the ball. And why wouldn't you? And so you know it's coming, and yet you, like, are handicapping yourself by putting an undersized 6'6 guy on him, who's not known for his defense. Like, I just, it was really hard to watch. And, And especially after you watched how well the rotation was working in the first half. So all things are kind of thrown out the window for me as I was under the impression in the Nebraska game, you know, this was like st- turn the page, Hogard in the lineup, you know, mm-hmm. Bingham not going to see minutes. You know, it's a new rotation. And you saw that for two and a half games and then just it stopped. And, and I'm just really unclear why. And so now I have no idea what to expect as they take on a brutal week um, here at Iowa, top five ranked Iowa, and um, mm-hmm. then on to Indiana this weekend at home. But, I mean. I mean, your next five games, John, your next five games are yeah. at Iowa, home against Indiana, home against Illinois, at Rutgers, at Ohio State. And that's before a home date against Nebraska. And right after that, you got to go on the road at Michigan. I just read off those six, seven games. I, aside from Nebraska at home, you I mean those games are at best? I mean, I don't know how many of those games MSU is even going to be favored in. Like you're, you're really getting down to it. I mean, you know, earlier I think, especially after Rutgers, I would have said, and I felt pretty confident. Shit, halfway through the game against Purdue, I would have said, okay. We, we've turned the corner. Might lose to Iowa. Still might lose some of these games. Some really good teams on the schedule. But this team's going to get in as like a six or a five. And, think, you know, they're going to do their Sweet 16 thing. And it's going to be a nice little season. Now I think all the questions are back on the table. Now I, I say that also with the caveat of I don't want to write off two and a half really good games because of one half of basketball but that's sitting here today once they play Iowa which we should probably start talking about that to me is a big that's a big barometer setter because Iowa is a big 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 time challenge I mean this team can score that's all they can do they they score I mean Luca Garza um, talk about needing to play good post defense this guy's averaging like 28 and 8 shooting nearly 50% from three. I mean, there's nothing he can't do. And there's no Xavier Tillman this year to come in here and try to help Michigan bail Michigan State out. So they're going to have to figure out a way to keep up with or slow Iowa down. And, you know, listen, you go in and you beat a top five team. I think everybody can kind of look back in context and say, okay, maybe that last half against Purdue is really unfortunate, but obviously this team's going to pull it together a little bit. Well, listen, this this game could go south real quick, too. I mean, MSU only scored 54 points against Purdue. That's really their by far their worst. Well, maybe not by far, but it's one of their worst offensive performances uh, of the year so far. And 
you got to turn around and shake it off. And I guess it's a good thing that they've had nearly a week to do so. But I mean, Iowa presents some, some very, very difficult challenges from an offensive standpoint. So, so it's interesting how they are able to, to make their team go around Luca Garza. And one defensive effort was to let Luca score. Um, yep. it's, it's simple math. And, uh, you know, somewhere, someone in the Big Ten last year and every coach started copying it, or a lot of them did if they were smart. Otherwise, I'm not sure. It just happened by happenstance. But a mm-hmm. lot of folks said, okay, if Luca Garza is going to get, you know, 20 plus shots, we'll let him get his shots. And let's say he makes 60% of them, um, you know, and we let, we let him get his and he gets at most 30 points in this game. Their defense is bad enough that that means that we're that means that CJ Frederick, Jordan Bohan, well he didn't play last year, but this year Jordan Bohan and Joe Weiskamp and Connor McCaffrey weren't shooting threes from deep. Another thing that Iowa loves to do. So we're actually kind of taking away the opportunities for more points from Iowa by by kind of containing uh, the offense to to Luca Garza. And with that, we know that their defense is we believe the bet we're making is not good enough to keep up with our normal offense. You know, that's, that was kind of the, the strategy and it worked. It did. Um, you know, Michigan state also was fortunate to have Xavier Tillman. So mm-hmm. with, with that combination, the thing that's a bit different this year is that Michigan state doesn't have the offensive firepower. Um, and so that strategy I don't think is applicable this year. Uh, it just can't be. Iowa is as bad defensively as they were last year, but are actually better offensively. So um, I don't know how MSU is going to come out and defend. Um, There is, like we've been talking about, opportunities for Marcus Bingham to play. um, And it's against guys like Garza, where all you are doing is asking him to just make his shots a bit more difficult. That's it. Right. Right. You're not saying score, Marcus. You're not saying anything but just like make him alter his shot and that's it you're also going to see i hope maddie sissoko mm-hmm. try and move him physically to places where he doesn't want to be on the floor and have to work to get back to the position to score or attempt because luke is going to get his it's just a matter of can michigan state contain the guard blow up problem that they've had and we talked about last podcast where someone always blows up because we have such bad um, guard defense that seemed like it's been cleaned up against Rutgers and Purdue. This is a whole new animal. CJ Frederick, Joe Weiskamp, Jordan Bohannon are all very nice scoring guards. It's going to be a bit different. Yeah. I mean, you look at this team and uh, the numbers don't lie. They average 91 point something points a game. Although that number has come down since they, um, since they've gotten into Big Ten play, they've only cracked 90 one time, and it was in an overtime loss against Minnesota, who scored 102, beat them 102 to 95 in the barn. Um, now, since then, they've beaten three ranked teams, including Minnesota, who they, they came back and beat at home by 15. Um, but listen, this is this is a really talented offensive team. If you're going to talk strategy, I mean, I, I don't think Michigan State has any choice but to to uh, to go the let Luca eat and just try to bother his shots whenever you can with length plan. I, ju- I just don't think there's any other winnable strategy for Michigan State because 
you don't have the individual defenders to truly take him on and expect to 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 deal with him on a one-on-one basis. I mean, you could deal with the Trevion. Listen, Trevion Williams is a very good player. It's just such a different ball game. I mean, Trevion Williams is is all of six seven. You've got guards out here at six eleven, seven feet with long arms who can really shoot the three. I mean, he's a he's a very very good player, and you don't have the individual defenders to deal with him. So what you have to do is um, you kind of got to let him do his thing. And I think that that two points is fewer than three strategy is what MSU is going to, going to have to do. I think what they really, the, the struggle here is that they, you know, have done well on the fast break and that's where MSU is able to kind of score points and um, avoid some of those frustrating offensive possessions that we've seen time and time again this year. And the problem is that that plays right into Iowa's hands. Um, it, it, you know, it keeps them from having to defend, which they do poorly, and it gets them the ball back quicker. Now, I'm not saying don't score the points. Take the points if you can get them. I mean, that's you're going to have to score a lot of them to stay in this game. So um, you got to do what you got to do. But uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough combo. I mean, um, you're going to need top-notch. I, here's one thing I will say. These Iowa guards, while they can all shoot, none of them are dynamic drivers of the ball. Jordan Bohannon is, is a like a, a post, not a post, but a spot up three point shooter. He can pull off the dribble a little bit. He's not blown by anybody. Same goes for Wieskamp. Um, and, and, you know, same goes for Connor McCaffrey. I don't think CJ Frederick is doing a, a ton of that either. So uh, you're not really dealing with that same type of like explosive guard. That seems to be the, what really gives MSU issues. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be a very interesting interesting evening. But you listen. I I think if I'm the coach here, if I'm Tom Izzo, I'm I'll die letting Luca Garza be the one to beat me. I'm not going to go down letting Wieskamp and Bohannon and Frederick and these guys be the ones to to take me down. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I think this. Listen, it's with a team like Iowa. They're a bad shooting night away from losing to anybody. That's why I don't think they're truly this elite team. Like, yeah, these dudes can friggin' score, but, but they're also out here giving up tons of points to just about every opponent that they play. I mean, Ohio, Minnesota dropped 102 on them. They lost to Gonzaga 99-88. Um, you know, there's no shortage of of ability to get buckets against them. It's just, can you can you do it enough? And are they you know off when it comes to to shooting? So. So, um, big to, game. The thing about Luca that has really evolved over the last year is his three-point shooting. He's mm-hmm. he's shooting forty-nine percent from three. It's incredible. The you're going to see Marcus Bingham and Maddie Sissoko a lot. You should anyway, because mm-hmm. they're the only ones who have the length, and and Maddie is the only one with the strength to to bother him both on the perimeter and on the block. Um, and it's all about, like we talked about, you don't even have to make the, make a, a block. It's just affecting somebody's shot. Luca, you know, rarely when you're six eleven are you affected by anybody when you're shooting? Uh, Marcus and Maddie have the opportunity to be one of the few people who can and keep up with him, you know, off, off the three point line on, on the block. So MSU certainly has the rim protection oper- capabilities 
at the same time, you've taken away an offensive weapon when those two are on the floor, which is fine, right? You're just going to have to concede that, which means you're going to need to find scoring somewhere else, um, which means, you know, it's probably not a night for Thomas Kithier. You know, it's probably mm-hmm. not a night for other folks who aren't able scorers because like we keep talking about, Iowa's going to get theirs. MSU needs to get as many buckets as we can. You're going to see Rocket Watts certainly not afraid to shoot. Um, no. He's going to have to score. Joey Hauser is going to have to show up. This is, you know, um, you're going to need a ton from Aaron Henry again. All possible. It's all there. Um, and, and I think if you want to look at, you know, two sides of the coin for this game is you win in Iowa City. I don't care if there are fans or not. If you win in Iowa City, you can put to bed at least for a while. The is MSU going to make the tournament? Yes, I agree with that. The flip side is, <laughs> I don't even know. Is that a realistic thing? I don't know. I, if it is. I'll say it's realistic. I, I'm not going to say it's likely. I'm going to say that I absolutely think it's it's a realistic possibility. Um, if only because, again, I, with a team like Iowa, it, they're a cold shooting night away from scoring 75 points and Michigan State's going to be able to to keep up with that and vice versa. Um, you know, I think MSU is capable of getting hot and doing some some great things. But really, I think what's really emerging here that's worrying me personally, and I'm, I'm a little nervous that it's going to really come to roost in this one, is that I don't know that Joey Hauser is – on a on a good team, on a team capable of winning a conference, I'm not sure Joey Hauser is the second best player on that team. I'm just not sure that that it's it's possible. Um, defensively, he's proving to be somewhat of a liability. Certainly, maybe not a liability, but but not a plus player. He can't guard elite athleticism type bigs, and he's not all that big, so he can't really hang with the the, the big sides either. He's a bit of a mismatch down there. And then offensively, I think he's a little streakier than anybody really um, mm-hmm. anybody really accounted for. Not only with his shot, but just his ability to get a shot. I mean, he needs a creator for him. This is really, you know, the, the more this season goes on, um, you know, listen, A.J. Hogarth, I think, has done an admirable job given the situation he's been put into. And I think that there is a, a ton of potential in there for him. But this season is, is really where you um, wish you had – Cassius Winston, you wish you had Jalen Terry, uh, you, know, you wish you had one of those playmaking pass first creative point guards, uh, which maybe Terry isn't. But um, fact of the matter is, if Joe, if you can get Joey Hauser his shot in the right place, we've seen him be really effective. It's just he's not the type to to get it. And MSU doesn't have a a full on facilitator that's well, ready to take that role right now. So here's the good news. And I think I mentioned this or made this statement probably on Twitter was that AJ Hogard is the only player outside of Rocket Wants that can get to the paint whenever he wants and get a decent look or a de- decent um, make a decent look for someone else. And Rocket mm-hmm. Watts' shortcoming is that he has no interest in doing anything but getting that look for himself, which which is not great because you know to your point. That's how you get Joey Hauser's of the world going. AJ, the problem is that AJ Hogard doesn't know that he's allowed to be that guy in the mm-hmm. late shot clocks to demand the ball and a high pick and make something happening, much in the way we've watched Galen Lucas, Keith Appling, 
Cassius Winston do over the past decade, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's a big ask to be like, hey, buddy, this is your when when shit hits the fan, go get the rock and 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 go to work. He's 18 years old, or, or, or excuse me, I think he's actually 20. Um, he's a freshman, um, and, and he's new to this role. Um, but he has to be that. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's the situation. It has to be that. Um, you mentioned Joey Hauser can't be the second best player on someone's team. You're absolutely right. Um, what we've learned, and this is just the way it is, is that Michigan State's best players are not as good as they've the best players have been in the past any decent team. It's not a knock on Aaron Henry. It's not a knock on Joey Hauser. They're not there yet. They're not as good as you need to be for your best players to win a conference. It's just not there. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's where we're at. Well, he, what has to happen here, the only, I think, I hate to quit on it already, but MSU is four losses behind Michigan. I, I, don't, I think you could put the conference stuff to bet at this point. I think the, the conversation has to be more of making the actual NCAA tournament. And I don't think that that is by any means out of bounds at all. But if MSU wants to take a step closer towards the top of that, the conference, in my opinion, one thing and one thing only has to happen. And you just sort of touched on it. And I think I might just be beating a dead horse here. Cause I'm not sure, you know, old dog, new tricks. Uh, Rocket Watts has to, has to be better. He can't shoot 28% from three. He can't mm-hmm. only have three assists a game. He can't shoot 36% from the field. He can't have less than two rebounds a game. These things cannot happen if you are going, if this team's going to be great. Now again, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's asking too much. I personally don't think it is. What we saw in the second half of the season from Rocket Watts last year was a player that is significantly better than the player that we have seen this year. I know he was dealing with a little bit of leg trouble early on. I don't know how much that is to account for it. The fact of the matter is we expected more this year and we have been disappointed. I would say Rocket himself has probably been pretty disappointed. The season's not over. Not everything is decided at this point in time. He has to admit, he has to step up if this team is going to be anything more than a, hey, thank God we kept that tournament streak alive mm-hmm. type of team. If that um, it simply has to change. I think, you know, because by him taking that step forward, that trickle down effect on everybody else from Aaron Henry to the very bottom of this roster is massive. If he's able to take a step forward, Hogard keeps taking a step forward. Everybody that was riding, rising tide rises all boats or some stupid saying like that. Yeah. Lifts all boats. That's the one like that is truly the case here with Rocket Watts. So if there's one player and, and honestly, if there's one player who should excel in a game like the one he's about to play, it, it is Rocket Watts because he is not going, he, he might get checked by CJ Frederick or uh, excuse me. Um, who's the, the Jordan Bohannon. If you've mm-hmm. got Jordan Bohannon on you and you are not going to the rack or getting into the lane and making a play, you're just not going to do it. So this to me is, is a massive opportunity for him to, to take a big step forward. Two other quick things that I would like to see. One, I would like to see Malik, or excuse me, Gabe Brown play a lot more. He's shooting 46% from three. This yeah. team needs help scoring. He's their ver- most versatile wing defender. Get Gabe Brown minutes. Get Gabe Brown minutes. Don't care who they come at the expense of. And on top of that, one thing specifically against Iowa that MSU has to concentrate on, and again, this is one of the complications of this roster, they cannot turn the ball over. 
giving away easy buckets against Iowa is just, you might as well just walk off the court because yep. you're not with this offense. You're not going to keep up with them. And the biggest culprits of the turnovers are Aaron Henry with three a game and Joey Hauser with two a game. Those, those can't happen. You can't be doing that in, in this game and expect to come out uh, even close, quite frankly. So in terms of Iowa, like we spent a lot of time on them, but I'm looking at Rocket and I'm looking at Aaron with the turnovers. You guys can't be doing that. So, um, and they're both going to have to shoot better. And also, Aaron Henry, you can't shoot 25% from three. Well, either stop shooting them or shoot them better. <laughs> Come on, man. Seriously. Shoot them better. Shoot them uh, better. The, you're right about the turnovers. You know, when Minnesota's upset win over uh, Iowa, they, they only had eight self inflicted wounds, eight turnovers. Gonzaga beat them. Gonzaga plays a different style of game and also is a different talent. They turned it over 18 times, but Gonzaga is allowed to do yeah. that. <laughs> they are, they're playing at an Alabama football level of different games. So um, They really are. They really are. Jalen Suggs is like the like the Najee Harris to them where it's like, you don't need – or like the Mac Jones or two. It's like, you don't need this. Yeah. Why do you have You're this? Let somebody fine. else have this. <laughs> exactly, dude. So, um, you know, Iowa – one of the more difficult games, maybe the most difficult game the entire year, all the way in Iowa City. Um, you know, a lot of – I hope Tom Izzo figures it out too. I mean, frankly, yeah. we are too far into the season. You know, it, we are at the point in the season that he is every single year where they go through their slump, right? Yep. And um, it, it's on him to figure it out. And in, and he's done it for however many years in a row. So, um, unfortunately he carries that burden. Uh, he's kind of done it to himself a bit, but, um, if anyone can do it, it's probably him and, you know, a bit of reprieve, uh, against Indiana, but frankly, dude, Archie Manning owns Tom Izzo. It's not even a joke. Like yeah. MSU's lost to Indiana, I believe the last three times, four times, at least the last three times. Yeah. I mean, they're not good, but at the same time, apparently Archie has a pretty good idea of what to do against Spartans. So, they are eight and five. They do have a uh, first round pick and Trace Jackson Davis. Um, I don't know, but they just, they, they're kind of like MSU to an, to an extent. You know, they don't, it's not a good team though. It's not a good team. We don't need to dance around it. This is not a good, this is a game that Michigan state should absolutely win. Yeah. I know it's, it, it's, it's at home. It's against a team that is super mid. I mean, they, look at the game. They've played four ranked teams. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the closest they've been in any game was a seven-point loss. Excuse me. They lost by two against Florida State. But you, you lost by 22 against Texas, two against Florida State, nine against Illinois, seven against Wisconsin. I mean, your best win of the you, – you beat Penn State by two. Uh, you beat Maryland by eight. You beat Nebraska by eight. Um, what's your best win of the year? It's one of those. I mean, it, it, you lost to Northwestern. So there, yeah, I, I give, you know, listen, I know I'm, I'm indicting MSU with a lot of those things, which is fine, but this is, you don't look at Michigan state and think they're world beaters. So you can't feel this. You can't feel any different when you look at Indiana. But every time I watch Indiana, it blows my mind how little of a plan they look like they have at any given point in time. Um, yeah this year they seem to have figured it out at least a little bit in that they're like, okay, we'll just get TJD the ball as much as possible. He's averaging 20 points, nine boards a game, two blocks. I mean, he, he hasn't, a, he hasn't made a three. I'm not sure he's attempted one because he doesn't need no. to uh, right. shooting over 50% from the field. I mean, 
he is the focal point. I honestly don't think that the plan against I, uh, Indiana should be a whole lot different than the plan against Iowa, quite frankly. You, you just let the big guy eat. You try to make him work for it, try to get those rebounds, keep him to one shot attempt, and, and, and let him eat and make the other guys beat you. And the other guys are um, – they're they're fine. I mean, Armand Franklin's having a nice year. He's averaging almost 13 a game, uh, four rebounds, and shooting for almost 48% from three. Outside of that, they don't have another guy that plays significant minutes shooting better than 36 points. Uh, excuse me, 36% from three. Al Durham's averaging 11 points a game. Fact of the matter, they don't have the thing that blows my mind with these guys. They have one guy that plays significant minutes that shoots better than 74% from the line. And that's Trey Galloway, who I know MSU was recruiting for, for a bit. Um, no one averages a lot of assists aside from Trace Jackson Davis race. Thompson averages, you know, six and a half rebounds again. I don't, it's the same faces we've seen the last two years, three years, it seems like, and no one really does a whole lot different. So this to me is a game that, MSU should deploy the exact same tactics that they deploy against Iowa, and they absolutely should win. This is the one, John, no matter what, if they lose to Iowa, I'm still willing to be like, okay, you can figure it out. You can pull it together. You lose at home against Indiana, and you have a three-game losing streak that includes home losses to Indiana and Purdue. And I think you have to have a very, very, very real conversation about that. It's, it's very possible Michigan State misses the tournament if they lose both games this week. Yeah, and and at the same on the other side of uh, the coin, you can put all that to bed. You can win both of these yeah, games. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know we said I said earlier that they don't have the top end talent to do it. I stand by that. But they do have seven guys, eight guys that are good basketball players. It just comes down to figuring out how to use those eight guys and then figuring out how to use the other three who are good at one very, who are very good at one thing. You know, it's it, foster lawyer, use him correctly. You know, Gabe, uh, Gabe Brown, use him more. Marcus Bingham, use him correctly. It, it's there. You know, it's just a matter of figuring out how to use the pieces. And Tom's the master at that, but he's got to figure it out. He's got to figure it out or it's going to be a short season. Tell you that. So strap in. I was going to be an up and down affair. Um, don't get too high. Don't get too low because um, score buckets are going to come in, in, in waves on both sides. Uh, you're never really out of it with Iowa. Um, right. It's, <laughs> so uh, just if you're a Big Ten purist, it's, it's not going to be pretty. But stay <laughs> for the uh, Fran McCaffrey freakouts. Those are always fantastic. Uh, yes, the Frantrums. We all know them and love them. Um, yeah, it's – we'll see, man. This is kind of the week. I think I've, I've been putting it off, and I think had they beaten Purdue, I wouldn't necessarily feel this way. But you don't have a lot of giveaway games here on the schedule in this this good of a conference. So um, this you got to at least split this week to keep hope alive. Not necessarily keep hope alive, but to, to – you're allowed to I won't go. I won't go that far. There's still a lot of winnable. There's still a lot of ranked games on the schedule, so you get plenty of opportunity. But I mean, you, before things get real dire, before you're squarely, squarely on the bubble, you got to at least split the games this week. Let's try for it. IMO. Right. That's it, John. That's all. That's all I got. Hey, shout out to the hockey team who went lost nine to nothing to Michigan. 
and then turned around and beat them three to two on and scoring two goals in like the last two minutes. That is quite the uh, rubber band or boomerang there, boys. So congrats. Congrats to our Any week you beat Michigan is a good week, so I'm okay with that. That's right. All right. That's all I got for you, folks. All right, guys. Well, as always, thanks for sticking with us, and we will catch you next week. See you.